Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast focused on professional development that will help you maximize your leadership potential in the charitable sector. I'm Pat McDowell, and I'm happy to bring you ideas and resources so you can build out your professional development plan. First of all, let me give a shout out to the reviews and feedback we've gotten. I really appreciate the encouragement because our sector is certainly going to need your leadership skills now more than ever in this time of uncertainty. I'm happy to bring you these weekly conversations with experts who I think can really help. Once again, I've got a fantastic conversation to share this week, and it's with Stammy Despo, who shares her case study based on her time as executive director of the Susan G. Komen affiliate here in Charlotte. The real takeaway from this episode is how do you build a culture of philanthropy throughout your nonprofit organization? And as a leader, I can think of nothing more relevant than this theme. We talk about what do you do when you first arrive in a leadership role and how do you assess what exactly is the culture of philanthropy at that organization? Secondly, we talk about what are some of the specific things you can do to create a culture of philanthropy, not just with your donors and the external community, but with your board and your staff and volunteers. And finally, Stammy and I talk about the things you can do to sustain this culture of philanthropy. Once you build it, what can you do to assure that it continues and maintains such a positive aspect throughout your nonprofit organization? Stammy, of course, has some great resources that she has relied on throughout her nonprofit professional journey. And make sure you check out the show notes after this episode, uh, course number 27. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll find everything that she and I talk about in terms of books and other resources that I think you will find valuable. Speaking of resources, we have gotten a number of requests for our coaching services in light of the strategic and career challenges so many of you are facing right now. Go to our website as well and check out the blue box on the homepage. It's titled Need a Coach, and we'd be happy to schedule a no-obligation call to see if we would be a good match or simply help you find the resources so that you and your organization can get through this difficult situation. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Stammy Despo. Stammy, welcome to the path. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you, although we're recording this under somewhat uncertain circumstances as the coronavirus affects everybody in the nonprofit and, of course, for-profit world as well. But I think it's important that we have this conversation because you have such great thoughts around creating a culture of philanthropy, which, frankly, is more important than ever. And so I'm looking forward to talking about your work in particular uh, with the Komen affiliate right here in Charlotte. But of course, it's uh, applicable to any nonprofit. But before we get into that, let's talk about you. Uh, Stammy, tell me, how did you get on the path to nonprofit leadership? Well, thank you, Patton. I think, you know, like most, it's been circuitous. Um, I really start and think about my parents. My dad was career military, served in Vietnam, and my mom was a teacher. So just seeing what they did and how they lived their lives every day, I, I, I know had a profound effect on me. I went to an all-women's college, Smith College, and that also was about women, helping women, elevating women. 
and then started a career on Wall Street back when there was a chemical bank. Um, and I found that my values didn't really align with Wall Street. So I went and I pursued a master's in teaching and taught sixth through eighth grade math, <laughs> which was um, a lesson in and of itself, you know, to start with sixth graders and end with the eighth graders. Um, <laughs> wow. Everything shifted when my mom was diagnosed 20 years ago with ovarian cancer. Yeah. And I became her uh, caregiver along with my dad. And that was a five-year journey. And I would say, um, uh, like others, cancer was a catalyst for change. And the best thing that happened to me, because it shifted my thinking and really shifted me from uh, for-profit to non-profit, um, we started a family foundation to help children with cancer uh, receive art therapy. And we built relationships with hospitals along the Eastern coast. Um, so I always say cancer is personal and transformational. And it's really what eventually led me to um, Susan G. Komen in Charlotte as its executive director for two and a half years until very recently. Uh, it, it's such a good story and powerful story. And uh, like many of uh, our colleagues in the nonprofit sector, Stammy, uh, you built together those experiences, I guess, that has, uh, have brought you to leadership ideas and advice that I know you'll be able to share with our listeners. So I'm grateful for that, particularly the personal nature of your journey with cancer and how you've turned it into such a positive thing. Um, in balancing things that you have had to do throughout your professional career, as you know, I ask every guest, how do you manage <laughs> the volume of activity uh, with an organization like Komen, of course, and other organizations with which you've worked? How do you keep it all together? Well, it's always a challenge, right? Um, there's so many balls in the air, but I, um, I have this poster that a child made for a sick child from my foundation days, and it says, one step at a time. And I truly believe that at the end of the day, that's what it is. You've got to stay focused and, and things can get overwhelming. But if you have that mentality of one step at a time, um, things will get done. Um, I know as an e um, executive director, you know, we're paid to look at the big picture and see around the curves and, and, and be steps ahead. Um, one of the things that I think is really imperative is to schedule fundraising on a weekly basis. So that was always on my calendar, um, chunks of time that I was going to devote to meaningful relationship building. Um, and it was usually twice a week, um, once in the morning, like for a two-hour block, and once in the afternoon. And those were sacrosanct. My team knew that those were my um, real hardcore fundraising. Of course, you're always fundraising, but those were where I was intentionally um, reaching out, doing meetings, strategically thinking, doing research. So that has stood me in good stead. And then the other thing I like to call is my power hours. Um, the, the times when I knew I was the most productive and those tend to, for me, be in the morning and, and blocking that time off 10 to 11, 
like the magical time. And so knowing that um, if I was going to have to work on a project or, you know, do some heavy thinking or heavy lifting, um, that was my time. And again, letting my team know that barring, you know, a, a real emergency that I was going to try to stick to those times. Sammy, I love that. And of course, as an executive director, uh, one, the emphasis on fundraising. I think executive directors know that. Even those that are not as uh, excited about it understand that reality. But it sounds like in, as opposed to reacting to deadlines or budget crises, you were proactive every week. And I think that's such a good discipline. And of course, I also, and I've referenced this before, but there's a book called The Power of Full Engagement, which emphasizes exactly what you said. Sometimes it's more about your energy level around productivity than time management. And so you were quick to identify right. your most productive times. And I also think letting my team know, showing them by example, that I was putting uh, relationship building at the forefront. Um, it's kind of, it sets the tone, right? There's so many other things that you have to work with and you do have to do and things come up all the time but just knowing that that's where your energy and focus the intention is 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 pretty powerful well and it's also a good example of modeling that for your team but also it's not just solicitation which I know we'll talk about but I like how you emphasize you were doing research or relationship building around any element of these uh, important uh, prospects or donors so it's, it's a continual effort, uh, as you have exemplified. Let's jump into the first question, which I, the headline of this episode, Stanley, of course, says, creating a culture of philanthropy. But I think it's important first to define that. You know, it sounds good. Uh, everyone will agree with that. But what exactly does it mean to have a culture of philanthropy? Well, thank you for asking. And it's really, so when I was being interviewed by the board of directors at Komen, they asked me, you know, what, what do you want your legacy to be down the road? And I said, a culture of philanthropy. And they kind of, you know, some of them knew what it was and some of them did not. So it's really good, as you said, to define it. It's an attitude where every single person in the organization supports fundraising and agrees that it's an important priority. So another way to put it is staff, volunteers, interns, board members are all ambassadors, connectors, and fundraisers. And everyone is encouraged to engage, contribute, and share. So it's a really donor-centered approach. Um, and if it's done well, and, and it takes time, right, it will grow and become powerful, self-sustaining, and allow for new uh, possibilities and opportunities. And this is a reason why I was so excited to have this conversation with you, because you and I both know colleagues and uh, organizations that look at philanthropy through the lens of whoever is the development director or the development staff or team or just the development committee of the board. And what your point is, is everybody needs to have development as part of their job description, right? Absolutely. And we built it into each job description. So as we were hiring new people and assessing our job descriptions. That's a really good point. We added it into our job descriptions and we also added it um, into um, each team member's uh, SMART goals for the year. So they would have one or two goals that fit in with um, building a culture of philanthropy. 
So, so everyone even, is accountable for it, including um, the board, the team. And that's in, so even if I'm on, on the program staff or I'm in the finance and business team, you still would have an element in my goals and or job description that made clear that I'm also part of the philanthropy team? Yes. Yes. And we modeled it all the time. Um, so a, a good example is, uh, you know, Race for the Cure is the largest fundraiser for Komen. Um, we created a Komen team and that was for staff members and uh and friends and colleagues of staff members, and we asked, you know, for 100% participation because we're not going to go ask other people to fundraise if we're not doing it ourselves. Um, and we want to show, we want to lead, right, our, our community. So people notice that, right? Other fundraisers, other race team captains are like, "Wow, look at Coleman!" And we actually ended up being in the top teams because it, it became, you know, let me try this. Let me go ask friends and family to donate for Race for the Cure, um, to volunteer, um, to help. And so uh, you, you got to lead from the top, right? That's so well put. Tell me about the when you arrived and you made it clear that these things don't happen overnight. You arrived to a, a common affiliate that, of course, the cause is well understood and appreciated, but perhaps you did not have the culture of philanthropy uh, that you were hoping for when you first arrived? I, we did not have that culture of philanthropy when I first arrived. So what I found was a, a dedicated staff and a board who they knew the mission, like you said, but they didn't necessarily feel inspired and, and had to really share that inspiration. Um, the messaging was really, you know, Komen does this wonderful work and we need money, so help us. Um, there was declining revenue and donors who had lapsed in giving and volunteers who wanted to feel more love, more appreciation. Um, events that took lots of man hours but didn't necessarily translate to um, ROI, um, which could be frustrating, right, to staff and board. And a board that was engaged but wanted more engagement and really strong calls to action. And I, I would say what I found at this affiliate was no different than many nonprofits, right? We all struggle with what I just mentioned, you know. Um, so I, I took it as an opportunity um, to, uh, to build and then grow, you know, to build a culture of philanthropy. How, how did you organize, because I'm guessing, and I, I faced similar, I guess, you know, parachuting into a, an environment that's new, like many of our listeners, um, every direction you looked, I'm sure you're thinking, wow, there's something I need to do here. Did you just kind of create one master list of, of issues and topics? And how did you manage that kind of first 90 days or so of getting started? Yeah, so I think the first 90 Days is indeed really an opportunity, right? Because you're new and people want to get to know you and you want to get to know them. So the first thing I did, and it's hard, is listen, right? Just listen and listen some more. Listen to the team, listen to your board members, listen to the volunteers, the college interns, um, every all the stakeholders. Um, but then I, you know, it's also being methodical, right? 
So we looked at you know the top 20 individual donors and I immediately reached out to them to introduce myself and share my why um, and to hear what their why was. Um, met with nonprofit leaders in the community, whether they were in the healthcare space or not. Um, met with the top 10 corporate partners um, to learn about why they um, partner with Komen, um, what, what are they looking for in the relationship. Notice I didn't say corporate sponsor, I said corporate partner. Yeah, very um, good. Very good. Yeah, uh, met with the like you know top five to ten foundations, government funders. Uh, again, learning about their why, introducing myself, sharing my why. Um, so it becomes personal, right? Um, and so, and and also the board, right? Building relationships with the board members, finding out why they are involved. Um, same with the team, same with the interns. So really like a reconnaissance, right? A meet and greet. And, and I did it all in different ways, whether it was a coffee hour, an email, a text, um, uh, uh, going to lunch, uh, you know, meeting people where they're at, right? Exactly. Versus having them meet you. What did... I think that's fantastic. And I've used a similar tactic. I think listening first always goes over well, but I guess at some point you have to signal that I'm going to make changes or I want to move us in a different direction. So did you find, of course, I toss out 90 days for lack of a specific timeline, but did you hit a point? And, and when was that point, I guess, when you said, okay, I've listened, I've learned, and now I need to start pulling everybody in the same direction? Right. So I think I was doing it simultaneously because one of the things that, you know, nonprofits don't have the luxury of is a lot of time, right? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> you've got to be um, fundraising, right? So I would say, you know, what I did very quickly is turn it around to what did we do as a team, a board, et cetera. And the, the guiding star was my uh, mentor and former boss. So I have this quote from him, and it really is what started the ball running as far as active work towards the, the culture. May your plans be strategic and your cases compelling. May your donors be major and their gifts transformational. May your contacts be meaningful and your database updated. But most of all, may your passion be others and your heart philanthropic. Because philanthropy, when thoughtful, is never regretful. And so that's fantastic. That's really the calling, the call to action, right? Because if you break all that down, um, you get to the really the three P's, the you know people, process, and pipeline that are going to help you um, get to this culture of philanthropy. Well, we're going to have to, Stanley. We're going to have to quote. I believe that's our mutual friend Ben Moeller. Is that correct? Yes, it is, and we have to <laughs> quote him. He is. Um, I worked with him at UNC Charlotte. He's now in Kentucky. And he is uh, he, he's a very strong uh, fundraiser and advocate for meaningful and transformational giving. Um, so I learned from the best. And um, this quote stood me in good stead. And, you know, I shared it with people. I let people know that this was really our guiding star. You know, wow. if we could do all of these aspects and implement them, then we were well on our way.
I think you're on to something. Ben is on to something. And as a, a mutual friend, in fact, I served with him on the AFP board here in Charlotte years ago. And so I'm glad we can both give him a shout out for his good work and continuing good work. And I like the fact that you created a, a, a tagline, if you will, a quote that everyone could rally around. I'm, I'm guessing you literally shared that, uh, that quote, or was that more a personal motivational tool that you used? No, I shared, I shared that quote. So that quote was sitting in my office. I talked about it when I was interviewing for the position. My team understood that quote. The board would hear it referenced. Um, so it, it, it was, it is a guiding star. And um, because truly it captures a lot of things, right, that we'll talk about. But um, yeah, that became um, internal and external mantra. I think that's fantastic. Um, my boss at Queens University, Pamela Davies, rallied around Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, and she talked about the flywheel concept. And, and again, I, I referenced that like you used a kind of theme or quote that everyone could rally around. And I remember distinctly at Queens, that was an important thing that we could all rally around. So to me, Stammy, you have illustrated a great tactic for leaders when you're new maybe find something like that that people can hang on to. And clearly you used it to your advantage. Yes. And I, I think uh, if I, as I continue, not, I think I know as I continue, it will continue to be my rallying point um, going forward to, you know, whatever I do next. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let me, I got to ask you this though. And, and we all know in leadership, everyone doesn't necessarily rally with you. <laughs> maybe as quickly <laughs> or sometimes ever um what kind of resistance did you did you face uh from perhaps so that's interesting yeah, board, right because, you know yeah you always have those that don't believe and i would say you know internally and externally there are those that um have like a wait and see attitude right um so and and i appreciate that too you know there's room for skepticism um, and, and questioning things. And I appreciate that too. Um, but they didn't necessarily block me. They just wanted to see the proof. And so as we turned um, some things around and, and the actual culture in the um, office around the team started shifting, you know, everything starts to shift when you embrace this kind of a culture. Um, then they became even truer believers, if that's a word, um, because they had been skeptics. We think we've all seen that. I, did you sense, how long did it take? I mean, I'm sure everybody you know, didn't convert um, at the same I would time. Say at least six months, sometimes yeah. a year. Yeah. And also just, I find that, you know, volunteers who had lapsed were watching you know, uh, to see, and once they started to see the difference in culture and attitude and results, they also started to come on board, drop into the office. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of snowballs, but yeah, you're always going to have people um, that don't necessarily agree with you um, and might even put some roadblocks up um, but you've got to, um, I just am pretty tenacious and gritty <laughs> myself. And the more pushed back, the, the more I, I had something I wanted to prove, right? right. That, that it could be done and done well. 
Well, clearly you did. Let's talk about it. You, you uh, alluded to a framework of the three P's. Talk about that. It seems like that maybe provided you a strategic framework to kind of move everyone into this philanthropic uh, philosophy? Absolutely. Because you can talk about it, right? But then you've got you to do it. So I broke it up into people, process, and pipeline. And so, you know, people, when you think of people, that's, you know, your, your internal, your team, your interns, um, but also externally. So um, the big thing was to really cultivate and steward donors um, whether they were individuals or corporate partners. And I alluded to it before, really understanding their why, being transparent and truthful, and, and asking them, what problem are you trying to solve? And here's what, how, you know, Komen is solving problems. Um, I remember we went into a meeting, uh, it was myself and the director of development, and, you know, she launched into, uh, all these statistics around Komen and how wonderful we were. And then, you know, uh, she, she didn't pause to listen, right? And after, uh, after you know, she presented for five minutes, um, <laughs> the, the, we were at a foundation, the foundation said, thank you, but, you know, we're not interested. And so what happened is we didn't go in there to listen first, to ask their why and then to share the aspects of Komen that made sense with what they were interested in solving. Great. So point. that was a big, you know, aha moment. Let's, let's listen to the donor first. Um, another thing we did is we spent a lot of time thanking people and, and that goes a long way. So, you know, you have the form letter for tax purposes, but then on every letter we wrote a note. Um, and so that was part of, you know, my intentionality or, or whoever had the relationship in the office, but we wrote a handwritten note nice. too. Nice. Um, and that takes time, right? It takes so much time. Um, and then uh, an example is Komen just had laugh for the cure and they had to go virtual. Um, and so a part of the plan we had implemented was that the next day we would um, get on the phone and call everyone that made a donation. Nice. no matter how big or small. Now, you know, given the situation right now with COVID and, you know, come uh, in transitioning with a new ED and all these things, that's probably the last thing that the team honestly wanted to do, but they did it. And, and people were just so thankful. I got several texts and phone calls like, Stammy, I can't believe in the midst of all this that the Komen team took the time to thank me for my donation. Right. Um, so I just think that that gratitude and not expectation, like don't assume a loyal donor is always, always going to give. Two great um, takeaways there. And yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt um, you. But. So we tied, you know, and other examples is we always try to tie a gift to a program project or initiative and, and tell stories that had metrics and, and what we accomplished. Um, and one of my, uh, one story that I really like is we had a law firm, um, Parker Poe, and they came to us and wanted a year long partnership. And they, um, we, we formed this amazing partnership that had, you know, cash benefits to Komen, but also we um, were able to do professional development via some of their lawyers for the Komen team. And then the Komen team was able to go and do professional development for the Parker Poe folks. 
Um, and so you just saw this high level of employee engagement and interaction. Um, and so that is a culture of philanthropy, right? That's fantastic. Um, and then, yeah. Well, and I, let me ask you a question though, Stanley, about that, because that so many, I think, of our nonprofit colleagues have sponsorship relationships, and you alluded to this earlier, but by having good conversation about the why of that law firm, you found a much deeper uh, engagement, right? As opposed to simply a cash transaction around right. event sponsor. So really trying to get away from transactional relationships because transactional is one and done, right? Um, I give you the money, you do this, we're done. Um, versus um, a relationship where, you know, I'm interested in what you're doing. I, it's a, I, I always want to have a win-win relationship with corporate partners, whether they're in-kind or cash. You know, why are they involved? What are they trying to get out of it? Right. Um, be, you know, because it's a business, right? <laughs> you know, um, we all hope that people are doing things out of the kindness of their heart, but there's also they have budget item line items and they have goals and they have mission statements. Um, so yes, uh, working with corporate partners and we saw incredible success. Um, highest uh, corporate dollars for Race for the Cure in 2019. So that it does work. It, it works. does take more time. Right. But it again starts with conversation, starts with listening and identifying the why from every direction, right? Not in yes. individuals, corporations, foundations, and it paid off clearly in that. But well, how did you attack the second P? The process so, P. What, so what was that about? The process P. I'm going to just jump right back to the um, the the team because one of the things is if you don't have your team behind you, you're only as good as your team. So one of the things we did is we created a word for each year, like Melinda Gates does. Oh wow! So 2019, what the word was impact. You know, 2020. Funny enough, is the word is adapt which, you know, we selected it way before um, COVID-19. So just um, putting that out there. But um, process, um, so we built it into the strategic plan. Uh, it's an intentional build. It's defined in the strategic plan. How are we going to build it? We updated our case statement to show Komen as a change agent in our community and as a solution to problems um, and addressing health disparities and access to care for all. We had a tagline, where you live should not determine if you live. Right. So all this in the process, um, marketing and communications, we shouted out our mission and our impact numbers on all, on all front lines, you know, on all fronts. Um, and so also we were customer focused. So big emphasis on the internal team that your colleagues and your stakeholders, they're all customers. And if you're customer focused, you're going to take very good care of your customers. Um, year round stewardship of donors. And really um, also in board succession, we put in board succession that we were really looking for people uh, to join the board that believed in a culture of philanthropy and would help grow it. Um, and have a commitment and capacity for it. So it was in our hiring process, 
right, for staff members. It's in our board succession process. It's in our strategic plan. It's in our case statements. It's in our marketing and communications. Um, so it's, you know, really all over. So it wasn't just a, a concept. You translated this into every strategic tool, job description, goal setting exercise, I guess, across the board. We did. And then, you know, the last part is the pipeline, right? Because I believe like if you build this culture of philanthropy, it becomes, um, it helps the organization be sustainable. So you're continually identifying new donors, uh, volunteers, interns, board members um, that can help drive this impact and success. You're being authentic and transparent. You're sharing your impact. And um, one of the things that uh, we're doing in 2020 is growing a philanthropic engagement advisory group. So, you know, what do you do with board members who roll off the board but still really care about the mission and want to make an impact? Right. Or people that have heard about Komen, um, you know, any organization, and, and they want to get involved, but they don't know where. So we've created this advisory group is really about, instead of a board development group or a, you know, board fundraising group, it's all encompassing because these people can help with building corporate pipeline support, foundation support, um, identifying prospective donors, reaching out to current donors, um, identifying and reaching out to uh, corporate partners. Um, so really another group to support the board's work and the team's work. I think that's fantastic. And it sounds like pipeline becomes a lens through which you can look at any of your key stakeholders, right? Often I think we think donor pipeline, but you just illustrated the board pipeline from recruiting to current board members to now when they roll off, you've given them a new opportunity. Exactly. Were there other pipeline elements that you were able to establish? Those seem to be outstanding ones to, to, to focus on. I also think that, um, you know, in the Marvian communications realm, like, you know, how do you keep the word out? You know, who are your partners? Um, that's really important to have strong partners that are sharing what you're doing, because that's a form of pipeline too, right? Um, so if you, I think that's an important component also. Great point. And I just, again, would, would echo the, the, the pipeline concept can apply to virtually every operational element of your organization. And we maybe limit sometimes to what that means. And you took it uh, across the board, uh, which is fantastic. And the three P's clearly paid off, Tammy. Uh, and I guess what <laughs> they what did me- and they are. And um, I, I think that, you know, so I, I firmly believe in philanthropy. So that's what we're talking about. It's very thoughtful. It's very intentional. And we saw all kinds of changes, right? So there, there were changes in culture and attitude. Um, some of my favorite things were watching interns and staff members who had been with Komen from, especially uh, one particular staff member who had been with Komen for 10 years and was afraid to ask for money and now is, is a beast. <laughs> she sees, she looks at things through the she lens loves it. of, you know, how can I 
how can I connect with this person or entity and, 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 and ask their why and get them involved? And that was a mission person, right? So um, I, I, I find that exciting, right? Um, Sorry to interrupt you, but an example where perhaps philanthropy was translated into transactional fundraising, which, gosh, I don't want to have to do that. And you, you turned it into just convey the mission that you're inspired by, right? And now right. you love doing it. Right, exactly. And I always would tell my team, you know, you're not asking for yourself, you're asking for the mission. And the mission is powerful, right? And so we always started every staff meeting with the mission statement and a mission moment. Someone had to share a mission moment. And I say had to, but they wanted to. There would be one, two, three, you know, shares. And same with the board meetings. Start with the mission statement and then also um, have a board member share a mission moment with the rest of the board. That's fantastic. And I guess you, you identified how events, I mean, while this is a feel-good exercise and the right thing to do, obviously, as you said, it's a business and it proved profitable, if you will, in terms of event revenues went up. What were some other examples of those tangible improvements that you saw as a result of your initiatives? Yeah, so we did see tangible improvements, right? So we increased participation from existing donors and volunteers. We saw year-over-year revenue stability and actual growth. Um, we successfully launched a major gift program um, as defined by $10,000 plus outside of an event. Um, and that's, this is a great example. Um, the board president um, reached out to me and said, you know, I have this person that I've been working with and um, I just believe that you two would get along very well and have a great um, relationship. And so I met this person once and I was like, wow, she's right. I really like her and we have a lot in common, only to find later that um, her grandmother had passed away from breast cancer and it was a very important person in her life. Um, fast forward a couple months later, um, meeting for lunch and um, this person said, well, I want to make a donation to Komen. And I said, oh, that's great, you know, go online and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she said, no, no, I want to make a significant donation to Komen. And so what started as, you know, wow. you know, that is a culture of philanthropy, right? Um, right there. So that's just one example. Um, race, if you look at metrics around um, race for the cure, which I said was our largest fundraiser, we had... Um, 8,000 registered participants. So we saw year over year growth, whereas a lot of other races are declining because there's so much competition. And we exceeded our you know, $1 million goal. Again, um, not possible if we weren't doing the three Ps all along. Um, we took a group of guys called the Pink Tie Guys, which are eight men in the community that are selected every year to be ambassadors and we changed them from purely celebratory to philanthropists and said, you know, raise money for us. Well, they went from raising 40,000 to 80,000. Like they, they, they doubled their money, right? Because they were so excited about 
the mission. Um, we launched a new event, um, uh, MBC uh, Metastatic Breast Cancer Conference, because again, if we're customer-centered, we realize that there's a whole group of stage four, what we call thrivers. They're living with breast cancer, and they need their own their own outlet, their own resources. So we we hosted a conference with over a hundred people for and are going to be doing that every year. And then we had um, we have an event called Laugh for the Cure, and again saw the highest revenue in 2019 um, in its 18 year history. So all to say that it works. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly, and you are to be applauded. And and I guess among all the great uh, advice elements you're offering. What I'm also impressed with, Sammy, is that while your opportunities, you know, new opportunities uh, will appear for you down the road as you transition from Komen, um, you've instilled something that I think will clearly remain. How did you do that? Because uh, a lot of listeners are going to have new opportunities uh, to maybe move within or outside of their organization, but it sounds like you have instilled something. Um, were there certain things you have done to make sure that this will remain kind of part of the DNA of Coleman yeah, Charlotte? I think that, yes. I, well, first of all, when people see success, right, they want more success. Um, so I think that's a, a key driver. But um, when we developed the um, executive director job description, we made sure that there were a lot of um, opportunities to express that we were looking for a, a person that's not afraid to make connections and do the hard asks that would continue to build this culture of philanthropy. Um, so it's in, it's in that, um, the questions that were asked during the interview process we're also geared towards finding that person that believes in those values and will continue the, the culture. Um, so there's that. And then there's, you know, uh, the team bought into it, right? They saw the success. They love how it feels to, to have that relationship amongst themselves. Um, and so they're continuing it, um, I hear through the grapevine, so to speak. Um, and so I think that uh, it's in the board, you know, in our hiring and succession practices. So it's, it's in the processes, it's in the strategic plan, it's, it's in a lot, it's in the development plan that we have. It's, it's spread out, right? Like you had said before, it's all over. Right. It, you know, it's in all these different places. Would, would you do anything differently for a listener who's thinking about their first executive director opportunity or their next executive director opportunity? Clearly, you had a great plan and executed it um, with great energy and enthusiasm and success. Did you learn anything or would you do anything differently, uh, perhaps, going down the road? <laughs> well, you always hopefully are learning, right? That's the, that's the name of the game for me, at least, to learn and grow. Um, I think uh, any new ED, any new situation, I would still go in there and listen and, and ask a lot of questions. Um, and I, I think that each situation is different. I don't necessarily think I would change anything. Um, but I would try to be more patient with myself. Right. I think that um, at times I wanted things to move much quicker 
and um, that's just not always possible. Um, and and so I think we all have that issue in nonprofit. I'd come from for profit, so I was um, used to a, a very fast pace and agility. Um, and so that some you just need more patience, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great advice, as you have offered throughout this conversation, Stammy. I'm grateful. What a great case study, and frankly, a masterclass in in starting uh, an organization, building an organization, and in fact, creating a culture of philanthropy that you so well articulate. Any final advice you might offer a current or future executive director as he or she <laughs> ponders this? Right, right. Well, I, I really think um, one thing is self-care, right? Um, like taking care of yourself as a leader so that you can take care of others. Um, and I mean it in all, you know, emotionally, physically, mentally, I think I did it well at times and other times, you know, I probably could have done better for myself so I could give more to others. Sure. Um, so I think that that's just super important. Um, you know, I would get into a routine and, and then something would come up, right? And then you would kind of, I would kind of drop that routine or amend it. Um, so I think it's just um, really important to take care of yourself as a leader. Um, and then um, be authentic, like be truthful and transparent. It, it's sometimes really hard, right? Um, but I also think it's one of the ways that you build trust and, and people will follow you if they believe in you and know that you're human. You know, I wasn't afraid to tell my team, you know, I don't have the answer. Let's talk about it. Or, um, I need help, um, or, um, let's work on this together. Um, I, I was always looking for thought partners. Um, and, uh, I, I think that's good. You don't do it alone and you're only as good as your team. So when you say I did this, no, I didn't do it. My team, the community, the common community built a culture of philanthropy. Well put you, uh, embody, uh, self-awareness and an authenticity, Stammy, that we need more of in the nonprofit sector. So I'm grateful that you're sharing that. And of course, among the things that you champion is lifelong learning. So as you know, I ask all my guests, what are your favorites and your personal professional development library? Any recommendations you would uh, leave our listeners with today? Well, I mean, I think we re referenced Simon Sinek and Penelope Burke. Um, I love um, Harvard Business Review series. They have... Um, one, The Ten Must Reads on Leadership. Uh, that book is, it's a thin book and it's 10 right. different chapters, I think, and I reference it a lot. Um, Joan Garrett is awesome. Um, you just came out with a, a really good uh, framework for nonprofits dealing with COVID, um, which I immediately shared with the interim executive director and board president at Komen. So thank you on that. Um, I do have a book I want to read. I haven't read it yet. But <laughs> What's that? What's that? <laughs> um, Robin Hood was right. A guide to giving your money for social change by Collins and Rogers. 
Um, so you've I love good this, things. This you've heard good things about it. I have. And it, the book is, um, it's about giving like, so it's on the other side of things, right? How to give wisely ensuring donations are used for substantive change. And so that's intriguing to me. Plus I like the title. It's been recommended by a couple people. So that's on my um, short list. Love it. Well, we will lift up your short list uh, along with uh, all of the books you and I have discussed and great resources. So Sammy, thank you. I will, of course, include all of these references in our show notes and connect uh, folks to you and the good work that I'm sure you will be doing down the path. Thank you, Pat. And thank you for this opportunity to share a culture of philanthropy with your audience. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks again. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Stanley as much as I did and came away with some really practical ideas that can shape your professional development around building a culture of philanthropy and how it might impact your organization now or perhaps the next leadership role you will take on. Don't forget the show notes available on our website, patentmcdowell.com, where you can find out much more about the resources, books, and other ideas that Stammy and I discussed. And as always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. If you haven't already, consider subscribing. Go to the podcast page at patentmcdowell.com and you'll see links to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most of the other platforms for podcasts. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes, as well as the bonus features we've got lined up at least once per month. Thanks again for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do them even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.